Well, good morning, church. And happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Uh, I remember when Jacob was born, our oldest, and uh, after he was born, I expected a, like an owner's manual or something to come out afterwards, and it never came. And I always say there's just there's nothing that prepares you to be a father. And uh, just uh, the sermon today will have some applications to Father's Day, but uh, just I don't know what I can only speak for myself. You know, I'm one man. Uh, life sometimes feels like an experiment, doesn't it? I mean, you only get to go through once. You can't go, well, that didn't work raising our kids, so we'll start over and raise them differently next time. You get one shot at it. And thankfully, um, I came to know the Lord before I was married. And so we had an opportunity to raise our kids in the Lord. And again, I say this by way of personal testimony. I don't know what your experience is. Uh, Maybe the Lord has dealt with you in a different way or along different lines. But I know for me, um, having raised our kids in the Lord, just seeing the blessing of God in our lives is, is unexplainable. But I know this, uh, and I'll speak to the fathers out there uh, right now, that um, whether, you're, whether your kids are in their 30s or 40s or whether they're teenagers or, or young, uh, you can't do it halfway. That's the biggest thing I think I would say that in our lives, um, you, you just can't, you reap what you sow. The more you invest in the Lord, the more you see those blessings in your family. So I want to encourage you dads, if you're just one foot in, one foot out, or you know, you're sort of just going through the motions um, and saying, well, I'm not seeing God do anything, you know, maybe it's not God's fault. Uh, and so I want to encourage the dads that are, everything in the world is against us raising and having a godly family. Everything kind of is opposition to that in the world. And so it's hard to say and to stick to that. And you get teased, you get mocked, even by your own family sometimes. But I'm telling you what, tease away. I love what the Lord has done in our family. So, amen? Amen. So, uh, welcome to uh, Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. Glad that you all uh, were able to make it here today, uh, especially uh, you dads uh, coming out today and saying, hey, I'm going to, Father's Day, I could stay home, sleep in, but I'm going to be meeting with the Lord, and I pray that it pays off for you. A couple of announcements. Uh, First of all, make sure your cell phones are turned off so we don't have that that interruption. Uh, Second of all, again, to the men, not just fathers, but men in general, I thought today would be a good day to just remind you of a couple things. Every Thursday morning, uh, men's men's prayer, in a general sense, men's prayer has been uh, one of the backbones of Calvary Chapel Fluvanna since before Calvary Chapel Fluvanna existed in real time. We used to meet, a group of us used to meet down by the river behind what's now 2J's and pray on Saturday mornings, uh, snow, rain, you know, whatever it was, we met every Saturday morning for prayer. And that prayer group has been going on in one form or another uh, for the last uh, 15 years. And it now exists on Thursday mornings at our church office every Thursday morning from 6.30 till about 7.30 uh, if, if you have to leave early for work, that's fine. So guys, I just want to let you know that that's happening every Thursday morning. A faithful group of guys who have the ability and the time and the work schedule that allows for it. We meet and we pray for everything involved, involving our lives, our families, this church, our government, whatever it is that the Lord puts on our hearts. The second thing is every Thursday night, there is a men's, little men's gathering at Cup of Joe. Right now over by the Slice Gate where Cup of Joe has moved to. And if you're interested in just getting together with other guys, Satan, guys, listen, Satan likes to isolate you. 
to make you think you're the only one that struggles with that or, or that you're so tough you can make it by yourself. And guys, we do a bad job with relationships. And we get isolated and Satan works on our mind and, and discourages us. And so if you want to get together with a small group of guys, uh, Thursday nights is where uh, that happens at, I think that's at 7 o'clock. Uh, and um, Rob Ford is the one that kind of oversees that. So a couple of special announcements for the guys. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand nice and high. Guys in the back will bring Bibles around. For those of you that do, we're back in John chapter 1 as the first place to mark. There's a second place, and that is Leviticus chapter 10. Oh, Leviticus, Old Testament book. Genesis, Exodus, and the third book is Leviticus. Fourth book is the book of Psychosis. No, it's not. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Psychosis. No. Not how it goes. John chapter 1, New Testament, 4th Gospel, 1st chapter, Leviticus chapter 10. Just put a marker there in Leviticus. We'll come back to that during the midst of this message. As pages are turning, uh, I will pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Lord, we thank you. Just always wanting to start our lives, start our days, especially start our church service, not with complaints or requests, Lord, but just with thanks. You tell us to be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer, making our needs known to you with thanksgiving. So Lord, we thank you for what you have done. The little things, the big things, the things that go... Lord, frankly, we just confess that we're ungrateful a lot. We take for granted all that you've done for us. You've done so much. And Lord, we know that you're not done yet. You're still doing. And I pray, Lord, that this group, that we would keep ourselves in the love of God. That we'd stay close to you so you can fully pour out that blessing, that grace that you have for us. Lord, we pray that you just pour it out on us this morning. We need it. We come dry and thirsty and maybe discouraged or frustrated or <clears throat> disappointed or, or whatever, Lord. And So here we are. Here we are, Lord. We don't know where else to go. But we're here. And we're waiting on you, Lord, to speak. And we're listening. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're in the Gospel of John. We talked last week about the fact that Gospel just simply means good news. Good news. And sometimes people think that the Bible and church is full of bad news. Uh, but sometimes there's a little bit of bad news before there's good news. And the bad news is, hey, we are uh, sinful people. And the good news is, God has sent His Son to be our Savior. And so the, this is really about the good news that John, the apostle who wrote this, uh, his nickname, uh, biblically speaking, is the apostle of love. Because he writes so much about love. And so this gospel written by the apostle of love. And last week, it seems that the, the message from the first part of John 1 really struck a lot of chords with some of you. Uh, there was a lot of buzz about it. Uh, through the week that I'd heard, and a lot of interest, and, and we just, John is just laying out there for us who Jesus is, and this worldview that in the beginning, 
there already was something existing, someone existing, and that was Jesus. He didn't come into being when he was born. He already existed. He just became flesh. The Word uh, became flesh. That's not what you say when your kids are born, is it? Well, my son just became flesh. No, they're born, they, they become into existence. But at his birth, Jesus did not come into existence. He already existed. He just became flesh. And so John just laid all of that out there for us, and we just soaked it up, and and now we pick up in verse 6, and we're introduced to another man, Uh, not the writer of the gospel, but a different John. Verse 6 of chapter 1 of the gospel of John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So, uh, there was a man sent from God, and I don't know if you travel, or when you travel, I don't know if you're sitting on the plane like me, I'm looking around at people saying, I wonder if I'm sitting near anybody famous. Have you done that? You wonder like who you're on the airplane with? I just... People fascinate me. I don't know why. Just, I have this wonderful fascination with people. I love to watch people in the mall or at the airport or wherever. And so when I'm sitting on the airplane, I'm always wondering what people's stories are. And we were sitting on, on our way to California, and the uh, U.S. Airways had this little advertisement there, officially now the airline for the PGA Tour. And so I got to thinking, wow, like I wouldn't know a professional golfer if he me in the nose or something. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I don't know golf. I'm not a golfer. And so I could be sitting like right near. Well, I'm, they're sitting in first class and I'm not. So maybe, but maybe on the plane is some professional golfer and I would never know that they were there. Now I've ridden on a plane with uh, Howie Long. He's pretty recognizable, isn't he? He had to have the front seat with all the leg room there. Um, but I was like, wow, that's Howie Long. And I just knew it. And then a couple years ago, Warren and I, on our way to Ukraine, were in the airport, and we saw this guy that was like seven foot tall. He was a Russian guy who played professional basketball. And so we shared the gospel with him in the airport, which was really kind of fun. But he was easily recognizable there in the airport. Uh, But other people might not be so much. And you would think, and I would think, and what's astounding to me about this is that God says there was a man sent from God, his name is John, and he came for witness to bear witness of the light. I'm thinking, why do you need that? I mean, shouldn't the light do a pretty good job of bearing witness to itself? I mean, that's just the way I think about these things. I'm thinking it would seem that the light would come and everybody would recognize it and recognize him. But instead, God has to send a forerunner or a messenger to announce that he's here. Like if someone said, hey, you see that guy sitting up there? That's a pro PGA golfer. I, I didn't know. Wow, who is it? What's his name? And then he would have to tell me who it was. Why is it that light comes into the world and and the world doesn't know it? And it just shows the fact that the world that Jesus came into uh, was so dark, so dark that that couldn't even recognize truth when it, it came to the doorstep when it came to to dwell there on earth. And and things are not any different now, are they? And I think the other part of the problem was that even the the religious institution at the time 
had depended so much on tradition, they too had lost sight of truth. And so when truth comes to tradition, tradition rejects it. It says, we have no use for you. We have tradition now. We don't need truth. And so God raises up this guy. I mean, the, this is John the Baptist. Now, that's not his denomination. That's, he, was a, he baptized people, preparing them for the fact that God was coming, that, that the Savior was coming. Get ready. I mean, get, if, you, if you're going on a date or you've got something happening, you know, come on, get ready. It's, it's, they're, they're coming to pick us up soon. We've got to get ready. And that's what John's... John the Baptist's job to prepare people and to point people to Jesus. Now, this is interesting. His name is John. That's very purposeful. Don't read over names in the Bible. Jesus, his name means Jehovah's salvation. And his name was chosen by God. John, how many of you know what John's father's name was? John the Baptist. His father's name is Zacharias. So when it came time to name the son... Named this, this boy right here, the Baptist guy. They said, well, we're just going to name him after our, 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 his father. We're going to name him Zacharias. And, but God said, no, 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 no. I, his name is already picked out for him. It's going to match his ministry. His name is going to be John. I said, well, wait a second. We don't have any relatives named John. Are some of you named after parents or grandparents? Or maybe your middle name is, is to honor someone in your family? Well, that's how they did it. But when it came to John the Baptist, they said, no. We're going to name him John, not Zacharias or Abraham or any of these other things. Why? Because John's name means Yahweh is gracious. Jesus' name means Yahweh is salvation, John the Baptist. So the forerunner of, of God taking on becoming human flesh is named God is gracious. That's what you have to know. That's very specific. And we'll talk more about that as we go through this passage. But he came to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. And now verse 8 is a very interesting uh, place to look and think about. Why does God have to make it known and, and point out specifically that says he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light? Now wait a second, don't get confused, God is saying. The one who's bearing witness of the light is not the light. How many of you have thought about the fact that we love living, I love living in Virginia, especially in the countryside, because I love being able to walk out my door and look up at the sky and see all the stars shining. And then when it's a full moon, sometimes it's almost like as bright as daytime. I mean, it's really bright when a full moon is shining. But does a full moon ever really shine? No. A moon has, the moon has no light of its own. We forget that because we're so used to looking, but it just reflects the light of the sun. And that was John the Baptist's job, and that's your job, and that's my job. Fathers, parents, pastors, elders, ministry, our job, you see, it's easy to get confused and, and to get in the way and to think that we're the light. But he, we just reflect God's light to the world. All that we have, all that we are, is because of what we've received from God. Now, I had you mark Leviticus chapter 10. Just go there with me for a second. Because there's a danger for everybody that gets involved in ministry or gets involved in bearing witness to Jesus, telling people about him, uh, talking about who he is and what he does, is that people begin to look at the messenger. 
You know, this is the big problem in church, is when, when a pastor falls or when something happens, the pastor leaves the church, everybody gets all freaked out because the pastor, and he, he's the pastor, and wait, Jesus is still Jesus, isn't he? I mean, he's still the head of the body. He's still the, the head of the church. Just because the pastor's left doesn't mean we fall apart unless you've been looking at the wrong light, unless you've been admiring the moon. But John had no bones about this. John was clearly able to say, hey, I'm not here to point to myself. I'm not here to take glory for myself. I'm here to point you to Jesus. If you come for counseling, I'm learning this. If we get together to talk about something going on in your life, here's a big lesson I'm learning. I am not the light. Matter of fact, I'm not even really that bright. And I, I have no desire to be a star. All I can do is maybe we open the, the word of God together and I can point you to Jesus. And so many of your pe- people are looking for something else. Well, I, don't tell me, I want, I want you, I want to come into the office and I want you to, you know, wave your hands over me, lay hands on, pray, and I want to go home and everything's going to be fine. I'm not the light. Jesus is the light. And if you don't want the light, the truth, the reality of what things are and what they're not, then there's nothing anybody else can do to help you. Look at Leviticus chapter 10 with me. I have to get there myself. It's the story of of two guys that kind of missed the boat on this. And, And for those of you that are involved in ministry, like John the Baptist was, like some of us are, this is a really important story. It's the story of Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Now, Aaron was a priest. The, he was not just a priest. He was uh, the head priest. He was the, the high priest. And his two boys, they're all ministering there uh, to the children of Israel in the Old Testament times, and, and they're offering sacrifices to God. And man, look at back just a couple verses back in chapter 9. Verse 23 says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. And then look what happened. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I mean, this is an ex- talk about an, an awesome worship service. I mean, this is God showed up powerfully. Fire comes down, consumes the offering. And everybody shouts and they just hit the deck. I mean, this is overwhelmingly powerful. Well, Nadab and Abihu are watching this. They're there ministering. And then verse 1 of chapter 10 says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, the little place, the little thing they would put the, the incense in, and they put fire in it, and they put incense on it, and they offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. So they sort of took matters into their own hands. Uh, we don't know exactly how this went down. Where did they get the, how did they light the incense up? Was it fire from the altar? Did they kind of have their big lighter? They're going, come on, come on, we got we to gotta get in on this. I mean, this is exciting. People need to know that we're part of this. And so they, they light this, this incense and they, they want to be seen as, as part of the deal of God's glory. And so look what happened. Verse 2 says, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Talk about getting burned out in ministry. 
hey, there's a really good, but there's a really good lesson here. It's true. You know, that's a joke, yes, but there's a true lesson here. Listen, let me read on. That devoured them before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. You see, so what happened? Nadab and Abihu, they decided they wanted to ride in on the coattails of God's glory and get a little bit of notoriety, get a little bit of credit as they were seen as being glorious, connected with the Lord. And they tried to hone in on that. And they needed a little bit of what John the Baptist understood. That I'm not the light. We don't, the fire does not originate with us. The the light does not originate with us. We are just pointers, moms, dads. The best thing you can do for your kids, point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord. Point them to the Lord with your life. First, let them see how you live. Let them see what you, let them see you living for the Lord. And that's the greatest pointer you have. Second point, point them to the Lord with your words. Talk to them about the Lord. Pray with them about the Lord. Get involved in family devotionals. Let that be the tenor and the nature of your home. The best thing you can do for your kids, because pretty soon they're going to be out of the house, aren't they? They're going to be in college. And if you haven't taught them, if you haven't pointed them to the Lord, I mean, my kids, I think they get, you know, they've gotten used to this now with dad. You know, they're, they're not going to get quick and easy answers from me. Where, what am I going to do? I'm going to point them to the Lord. We've got to seek the Lord on that. We've got to see what's his word say about that. And you teach them when they're young so that when they're in college and when they're adults and when they're parents themselves, then they've learned to seek the Lord. They've learned that you're not the light, mom and dad. Otherwise, what happens? They become dependent on you. I don't want my kids to be dependent on me. I've got enough problem with myself. This morning, I usually go for a walk before church, and I went for a walk. We have a, a bunch of beehives, and I went down to, to visit the bees. I was walking by, and I just love to watch them coming and going out of the hive. And I had taken down some, uh, some we feed them the sugar water, and I opened it up. And I was just standing there, fed them the sugar water, and I was just waiting and watching. And, and a bee flew into my hair and stung me on Father's Day. Can you believe that? Disrespectful. Father's Day. So I go back up to the house, and... Uh, and I tell Helga, I said, you know, I got, I got stung by a bee. She's like, oh, really? On Father's Day? Yeah, on Father's Day. What happened? I said, it got stuck in my hair. And her, you're laughing already. Why are you laughing already? I haven't got the punchline yet. And she said, how does anything get stuck in your hair? <laughs> Back to John chapter 1. Uh, I am not the light. <laughs> This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. We're born into darkness. I mean, physically, when you're born, you come out of the darkness into the light. But spiritually, we're born into darkness. I mean, I'm amazed looking back at my life of the things that I thought were good and right and normal. As I look back, I go, how did I think that was normal? How did I think that was good? But I was in darkness. I, I didn't know. And, and I know people, I talk to people, and I, just, and I see the way they live and the way they behave and the things they're into, and I just, 
And I know and I understand, and this is what gives me grace, because I was there too. When I was in darkness, when I didn't know what was right and what was wrong, when I had no light in my life because I didn't know Jesus. But when I met Him, when I received Him into my life, when He came uh, into my heart, I began to see everything differently. You see, this is what the verse says, that was the true light. I had a lot of false light in my life. Friends that told me what to do, uh, uh, peers that were living examples of, of sinfulness to me. I had a lot of false light, TV or radio or, and now internet. and all. There's a lot of false light out there, isn't there? There's a lot of things that pretend to be truth and wisdom and knowledgeable and, oh, here's the way to make you happy, and here's the way to find success, and here's the seven keys to, to this, and financial freedom, and all these things. And it's all false light. The true light that, that first of all, exposes my sin is the Lord. See, that's what light does. Light makes things known. You turn, you know, if you have a, a splinter, you get a splinter in your hand, and you go, well, I can't see. Let's shine the light on it so we can see where that is. And when 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 I learned about Christ, that light began to shine in my life and I began to be horrified at the things I was doing. And that's when I, I repented. It means I turned, I changed. I said, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore because I finally could see. And then the other thing that the light does is it directs your path, right? It illuminates the path. And that's what Jesus has been for me ever since. That's the true, you want to really see true light, then, then the Lord is the light. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That's like a sad verse, isn't it? I mean, that, that to me is, is pretty phenomenal. Here's the creator of the world people made in his image and then he comes to the people he created he comes to the world that he created and the world that he created has gotten so dark and so off course that when their creator comes they don't even recognize him don't even not able to receive him imagine that as a parent you know your kids denying your existence Denying that they even know. I mean, see, if you've got teenagers, you understand how God felt. Right? I remember, man, my parents loved to show me the old albums from our vacations. Because my parents were both teachers, so we had the summers off. Best three things about being a teacher, June, July, and August. And so we would travel all summer long. We would get in the camper and we'd go travel. Well, that was cool up until I was about 15 or 16. And then I just thought I was way too cool for my parents. So all the pictures of me in the vacations when we were there, I'm always like got this really ugly face on and I just really looking, because I just didn't want to be, like because there might be girls at the campground, you know, where we were staying and I didn't want the girls to know that these were my parents. I mean, these are embarrassing people, you know. And now the problem is now I'm a parent and now I'm an embarrassing person to my kids. But uh, we understand that to, to have given birth, to have brought this stuff into being and then to be rejected uh, by the very thing that you created um, is what God is trying to he came to his own uh, his own creation his own people the Jewish people the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and then even to his own family 
His own family didn't understand him, didn't, didn't, couldn't figure it out, couldn't fathom it. His own did not receive him. So maybe it was the fault of the light. Maybe it, was, you know, maybe it wasn't people's fault. Maybe it was God's fault. Well, the next verse solidifies this for us. It wasn't God's fault because verse 12 says, but as many as received him. So evidently, not everyone rejected him, rejected the light. But some received the light. Some continue to walk in the light. So there are those that receive to take it to themselves. That's what it means to receive something, is to, to accept it. So to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right or the privilege to become children of God. There is, I don't know of a more beautiful verse in the Bible. I mean, there's, there's a lot of beautiful verses in the Bible. But think about that. To those that receive him, not to those that reject him. There's a big confusion. Well, everybody's a child of God, aren't they? What's the answer to that question? What's the based right here? The answer is no. As much as I, I, people love to think that, as much as I'd love to tell people that, it's not true. Everybody is a creation of God. Everybody created in the image of God. Everybody uniquely fashioned by God from before the womb. But not everybody a child of God. Who gets to be a child of God? The one that has the most money, the one that's the most athletic, the one that has the best education. I mean, to, to all the Harvard grads, they became the children of God. By the way, as we talk, where is John the Baptist preaching and preparing people for Jesus? In the temple? Is John the Baptist a priest? No, he's out in the wilderness, you know, eating locusts and wild honey, and he's a wild man, and, and he's out by the Jordan River preparing people. He's not in the temple. He's not a priest. So, because you could say, well, and all the, the good, godly, priestly people were the ones that he came to receive and be, make his children. Nope. You know who, who accepts Christ? The foolish the, the ones that the world calls foolish, that's what will happen if you accept Christ to be your Savior. The world will call you foolish. The world will say, well, you must need a crutch. Well, I'm glad that works for you. But you have no idea the blessing of being a child of God. What father, the Bible says, if his son asked for uh, bread, would give him a stone? Or or what father, what earthly father doesn't love to give good gifts to his children? If, if you fathers love to give good gifts to your children, and I hope you do, then how much more God loves to give good gifts to his children? I mean, if that's what a human father loves to do, and God is the, the ultimate father, he may not be the father that you're familiar with. He's probably, in a lot of cases, not the father you're familiar with, because many of you had lousy examples of fathers. And I don't want the word father to scare you away that, that this father is the perfect father. To be a child is not a scary thing or, or, or not a worrisome thing or not a dangerous thing to be a child of the living God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a blessed thing, isn't it? Can someone that is a child of God say amen? Yeah. Oh, the gifts of God are so good. I can't even count them. But... Now, I have two kids, 
I, I love, we love as a family to minister to people, other people's kids. But nobody gets the attention that my own personal kids get. So God is generally gracious to the world. But he takes special care of his own, doesn't he? All oh, the blessings of being a child of God. So how do I become a child of God? To, how do I have the privileges, the rights of, what, of a child of God to inherit all of what he has? To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood. What does that mean? That means not of a family lineage, not of a heritage. Just You can't inherit faith from your parents. Just because your parents went to church, just because your, your parents were saved, doesn't mean that you automatically are, are part of that. You have to, kids, uh, young adults, whoever you are, you have to have your own. No one else can be born again for you. You have to be born again uh, on your own. So you can't inherit it by your lineage, the family you grew up in. So it's not that are born of, of uh, blood, nor of the will of the flesh. There are some, I say the most frustrating place to be is in church without being born again. And trying to do all these things, to, to change your life. I'm trying to do these external things. I'm going to read more. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to do all these things. And, and that's all fine, but none of it will make you born again. How does one become born again? Just what John said, for those that believe. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then that works all the rest out in your life. The rest of it is gravy, man. It's, it's icing on the cake. It all comes. So you can't, no matter how much you want to be or, or you, you feel like you can make it happen because you see what other people are going through. You see other people's lives being blessed. So you say, well, I want my life to be blessed. And so I don't really want to repent. I don't really want to follow God. I just want to look like I'm following God. That doesn't make you born again. You can put your boots in the oven, but it doesn't make them biscuits. Isn't that how the saying goes? Yeah. Nor of the will of man. That's another uh, way, an unsuccessful way. Um, and, and I tell you, there, some, some of you, I know there are probably wives in here that have tried everything to get your husbands to be born again. Uh, you, you wish you could, and I've always said this, uh, there's people that I just wish I could... I could pry open their chest and reach my hand in and find that switch. I know mean, there's a switch on the heart somewhere, and, and if I could just get a hold of it, I'd, I'd flick it for them, and then whoa, the light would come on and they'd be saved. Wouldn't you love to do that? Isn't there someone in your life that you just wish you could reach, reach your hand into their chest and flick the switch and they'd get it? And if it, it was up to you, they'd be saved because you'd will it to be so. You've tried so hard to will them to be born again. But you can't produce it. There's only one place, one way that a person can be born again. And it's between them and the Lord. And we can pray. That's your job. You pray. And God does the work. Born again by the Spirit. And we read this verse last week. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And all John is, is recognizing is that Christ existed. John is older. John was born first. But he and Jesus are related. They're like cousins in the flesh, in, in human speaking. 
But uh, John, even though he was born first, he recognizes that Jesus existed before that. So that's why he says, he who comes after me is preferred before me. He's not afraid. John's not afraid to get out of the way. And the best way to not burn out is to fade back. If you don't want to burn out in ministry, you don't want to burn out in life, is you just fade back. And you let Christ you know, be, have the preeminence. Let him be first. And that's what John is, is saying here. One final uh, paragraph here, last two verses, or three verses, and we'll be finished for today. Because these are so beautiful. And of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has, he has declared him. And of his fullness, verse 16 says, we have all received and grace for grace. This is what John's testimony is. John, the, uh, the gospel writer. It was out of Jesus' fullness that we receive grace. And it literally says grace upon grace. Grace in exchange for more grace. In exchange for God gives you grace. And then he gives you more grace. And then he gives you more grace. And what does grace mean? Grace is just a, a free gift of God. That means you didn't earn it. I mean, the church has to get grace. If, if we don't get grace, we're going to have a hard time, aren't we, folks? Because so many of us are still trying to earn what God wants to give us. You still think it's up to you to earn it, to be more pleasing to God, to be more lovable. God loved you before you were, you're still not lovable, so don't tease yourself. I know you. You're not, lo- you're not that lovable. I mean, you can pull it together on a Sunday morning and look a little bit lovable. But if we could read your thoughts, would you be lovable? If we could read the way you think about us when you're talking to us, hi, how nice to see you today. And you're going, ooh, that's an ugly shirt you've got on. You know, whatever it is that, that you might be saying in your mind. You know, we're, not, we're, we're not really that lovable. And it's a good thing that God is gracious and doesn't wait for us to be lovable to love us. Grace has more to do with the giver. It has everything to do with the giver and not the recipient. God's grace to you, and he gives grace. You see, some of you have thought that God has come to take from you. He only came to take away one thing, and that was your sins. But God, you know, some people, oh, if I go to church, the ceiling's going to fall in, and all this is going to happen. Oh, if I get saved, God's going to take this, and he's going to take that. He's not going to take anything from you that isn't already killing you in the first place. And in the second place, he's going to give you way more than you deserve. And he gives grace. Has anybody experienced the grace of God? I mean, you just receive things and you go, I just totally didn't deserve that. I so, I so get that. You see, because the law came through Moses. Moses brought the law. And the law was, was cold. It was true. It was right. It was It was perfect. But it was called, is there a lot of grace in the world? The, the world? I was telling some folks Tuesday, Wednesday night that I just made this stupid mistake this week. I was traveling and, man, and I didn't get to the tax office in time to pay my uh, property taxes on time. I paid them Monday instead of Friday. And, and so I was like, you know, I'm trying to, to be cool at the window. And you know, like, well, you know, I was traveling last week. Like, they're supposed to, she's supposed to care. 
you know, that I was traveling. Like I'm one in 26,000 people in the county that have to pay taxes. But it's just a stupid mistake. And I thought, well, maybe I can wiggle around this and, and get some grace. Guess what? Or maybe you've had a late credit card payment and, uh, you know, or, or something. And you go, oh, grace, please. And, nope, there's no grace. There's no grace. And I, wanted, and I was so mad. <laughs> you know, I was telling the folks earlier in the week that just recognizing that I'm also a witness there, so I've got to be careful. Uh, you know, she's probably, the, the clerk is probably sitting here in church, so you're the guy, you know. You chewed me out at the tax window. I did not chew her out at the tax window. It was, I was mad at me and projecting that and, try, and trying not to, my, you know how you're arguing with your flesh, like, shut up flesh, shut up flesh, you know, don't do that. Don't. It's like this battle going on. I, just, I know I'm not supposed to do that. And so trying to hold it together, you know, and <laughs> not express my frustration. So, um, but great, so the law came through Moses and the law couldn't change anybody. All the law could do was point out our faults and point out our failings. And so Jesus comes on, and this is what we think God is just condemning. We, we, this con, God is condemning. The God, he's so condemning. He's so hurtful. He's so mean. And then Jesus shows up, and that's not what we see at all. They catch a woman in adultery, and they bring her to Jesus. And they say, hey, shouldn't we stone her to death? I mean, shouldn't she get the death penalty? And Jesus begins to write in the sand, and we don't know what he, what he wrote. It might be their sins that he wrote. And they split, man. They took off. And he says to her, where are your accusers? And she said, well, they're nowhere. They're gone. They left. And he says to her, now she was caught in the act of adultery. The law said she could be condemned to death on the mouth of two witnesses. But the witnesses had all left. And Jesus wasn't there. And so he says to her, neither do I condemn you. And that's grace. Now the danger with grace is that we can tend to abuse it. And so she could go out and say, woohoo, I got off free that time. I'm going to go and do that again. It seems that God is gracious so I can just keep on sinning and he doesn't seem to care. But what does he say to her next? He says, now go and sin no more. That's truth. The truth is your sin is killing you. Your sin is destroying you and your sin is destroying the relationships you're in. So grace says, I don't condemn you, but truth is go and sin no more. Grace, man, there are some confusing situations we face in this world, aren't there? And and sometimes, you know, we have to to figure out how to grace and truth work together in these things. Because if it's all grace, we end up just living in sin and then nothing seems to matter and everybody does whatever's right because God is gracious. God's grace, the Bible is clear, is not so you can be free to sin. Then you've misunderstood God's grace. God's grace is so you can be free from sin, not free to sin. So through Jesus come grace and truth. And how do we know it? How would we know this about God? Because we see the life of Christ. We see the way he deals with people and deals with situations. He's much more, this is the problem. We get in relationships with people, we're so ungracious toward them, aren't we? I mean, somebody messes up and boom, we slam them. But not Jesus. He's gracious. How many times should we forgive? Seven times? 
70 times 7. That's grace. You can close your Bible, and we're going to um, end with a, a praise song. And, and a couple of things we've dealt with. We've dealt with a lot, and, and I think the Gospel of John is hopefully uh, impacting us deeply and tremendously in terms of how we understand God. Because a lot of you have come with uh, either no or a little or the wrong conception of who God is and what He's like. And I hope you're finding out maybe for the first time this morning that He is full of grace and truth. And He wants you to receive Him so He can love you uh, as, and express that love to you like a father does a child, like a good and loving father does to a child. He wants to give you gifts just because you're His child. No other reason. Not because you got an A on your report card. Not because you got a raise or a promotion at the office. Not because you have a clean driving record. No, that's not why. He wants to bless you. Why? Because He loves you. Because He's good. Now the question is, do you want it? Do you want it? Because He's also a gentleman. He's not going to make you or force you to receive His grace, is He? So as we stand, let's stand and we'll sing a final song.